Welcome to AIR Informs, a podcast from the American Institutes for Research, where our mission is to generate and use rigorous evidence that contributes to a better, more equitable world. I'm Dana Tofig. In this episode, we are continuing our series on the different ways the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our lives and our society, and how we are handling the challenges it presents. Now, in the best of circumstances, the foster care system in America faces significant challenges. The pandemic has further exposed and exacerbated those challenges and made it much more difficult for children who are in crisis to be placed in foster care and for those who are in foster care to be reunified with their families. Our guest today is Anne-Marie Feria, a principal researcher at AIR whose work includes studying child welfare systems, including programs that can improve foster care systems and outcomes for families and children. She joined us from Washington, D.C., where she, like so many people, is working from home. In fact, during the interview, you may hear her cats Nico and Zoe trying to be a part of the conversation. The coronavirus pandemic is hard for everyone, but it presents some very unique and specific challenges for the foster community both kids and families. Can you talk a little bit about those challenges and how it's playing out across the country? So I see three big challenges. Um, The the first is about children coming into care. Uh, And really right now, there aren't many children coming into care. And so our hotline calls are down. Those are phone calls made to report suspected abuse or neglect. And placements also are down this year when you compare them to this time last year. So we're really concerned uh, that many children are staying at home in environments that might not be safe. And because there are fewer eyes on children through people like teachers and coaches or pediatricians, fewer kids are actually coming into care. So we're worried about those kiddos now. And we also expect to see a surge in placements as states begin to reopen and more people do have eyes on on kids. Um, you know, we've seen this across the country. I think LA County is a good example. They're one of the largest um, foster care agencies in the country, and their hotline calls have have plummeted. And we've seen dramatic declines in the number of calls coming in for CPS here in D.C. as well. So um, that's one big concern that we have for children uh, that may not be safe right now during stay-at-home orders. Um, linked to that, the kids who are coming into care right now are also often victims of more severe abuse or neglect, right? So many people are avoiding going to the doctors or hospitals in general right now because of fears around COVID. So only the really severe cases are coming through the ER doors. So we see that playing out in statistics um, in hospitals across the country. Here in DC at Children's National Hospital, we see the total number of child abuse cases is down but a higher percentage of children are are dying from their abuse uh, this year compared to last. So there's definitely a fear that the kids who are coming into care right now um, have been exposed to really severe abuse and neglect, and the kiddos who um, are exposed to more mild uh, maltreatment may not be uh, picked up on right now because of the stay-at-home orders. So that's the first big challenge. Um, The second is thinking about what to do for our children and youth that are already in care. So COVID has just stopped all of the in-person visits between birth families and their children, which makes it really difficult to maintain family bonds that are so important for children and and the adults um, in foster care. So most states now have switched to virtual visits, and, and those are helpful, right? You can stay connected through virtual visits, but they're challenging 
in other ways, right? So especially for new foster parents who are not trained to supervise those visits, um, it can be a burden on them uh, and they're not sure how to negotiate those interactions via FaceTime or um, or Zoom or something like that. So there's more support needed from the social workers to support foster parents. Uh, but it's also really hard for infants and toddlers or for nonverbal children to really benefit a lot from those video visits. There's just a lot lost um, when you can't hold your child. And so as we make that transition to video visits, um, there's a lot of questions about how to maintain and foster secure attachment between children and their birth families. Likewise, um, it's really hard right now for families and children to access the services that they need. So if you imagine a child who before COVID had weekly therapy, um, maybe some OT or PT in person, all of those visits now are virtual. And that puts the burden on the foster parents to be a foster parent, but also to be a nurse, a psychologist, an occupational therapist, and a teacher, uh, given that most of the schools are closed. So it's really hard on foster families to meet all of the unique needs of their kiddos um, through virtual visits. At the same time, the adults in our birth families are also challenged to access the services that they need to work their reunification plans. So an example would be drug testing has all but stopped right now. And that makes it really hard for birth families to demonstrate their commitment to sobriety. Um, we know that some parenting classes are now virtual and those are well attended here in DC in my area, but the combination of COVID is making it much harder for families to make progress on their reunification plans right now. And so that translates into children um, and cases lingering on and children remaining in care longer uh, due to the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders than you know, would have been the case if, if families were able to continue with their, with their, work, their plans um, pre-COVID. And then the third big challenge that I think about a lot is uh, what, what do we do with new placements? So there are lots of questions to think about how to keep everyone safe um, when a child is being removed from the home. And one of the big questions is who should be tested and when should they be tested for COVID during removal and new placements? Um, and answering this question is not easy, right? So some people, including myself, think that all children coming into care should receive a COVID test during their health screening. Uh, but other families are worried that the test may cause even more trauma during a really difficult time for the child. So there's, there's lots of different things to consider here. Um, also, older youth who are coming into care want assurances that the foster families that they're going to join have been tested and um, are COVID-free. So the testing question goes both ways. I think, you know, in, in my foster care community, everyone is very open to testing. And we do think that if you are testing, you have more information about how to meet the needs of that child. You know, if your family needs to quarantine pretty strictly for two weeks due to exposure. Uh, but right now, children are not being tested as they come into care. And so there's a lack of information about um, the risk that's posed for that child and for your family if you're open to a new placement right now. So clearly there's a lot of challenges and they are very complex. So let's talk about what steps are being taken to address some of these issues and maybe what else can be done. COVID has exposed challenges in the child welfare system, uh, which is a system that was already burdened, right? So it's hard to point to any one state and say they've got it right because all states are challenged or were challenged pre-COVID and now it's just exacerbated. Uh, but there are some ideas about how we can how we can move forward. So one is, 
And this is not easy, but it might be time to reconsider the caseloads uh, that social workers carry in the child welfare system. So if we reduce the number um, of families on any one social worker's caseload, that's going to reduce the burden um, and reduce the risk um, for that staff member, as well as the risk of exposure for the children and youth that they are working with and birth families and foster families. So again, it's not easy in an already overburdened, um, underfunded system, but it may be worth considering uh, looking at how you can kind of create smaller pods for social workers during the pandemic. Um, another thing is right now, many of the visits across the country are virtual, but some states are already starting uh, with in-person visits and many are about to reopen and resume those visits. And there are a lot of questions about how to keep children and families and staff safe during in-person visits during the COVID pandemic. So as states are opening up, some things to think about. How can we do visits safely? Well, first, we have to make sure that everyone involved has the PPE that they need. So the PPE that should be widely available uh, for all staff especially includes masks, right? So masks should be provided for staff as well as all children and youth over the age of two. We don't want masks uh, for babies. It's not safe for their breathing, but any child two and older should have a mask for any in-person visits, as well as all members of the birth family and foster families that are participating in the visits. Um, right now, I said uh, before, the agencies are focusing mostly on their own staff and we need to kind of broaden their, that focus. Um, Another thing to consider is that when possible, visits really should be done outside um, so that families can remain socially distanced. Now, the social distance part of a visit is really hard, right? You, it's a hard ask of a mom and her child who may have not seen each other in months to stay six feet apart. We know that and we don't necessarily expect that to happen. But in the context of a visit, the social workers can remain six feet apart if foster families and bio families are attending the visit together, um, they can stay six feet apart. So there's ways that we can we can limit the exposure in in-person visits. Some states uh, like D.C. and other areas are also considering safety checklists that both families would need to meet before in-person visits can start up again. And this could be a really useful tool uh, to determine if it's personally safe for any one given family to begin in-person visits. And that would require things like um, making sure that if there has been exposure that people have received COVID tests or that they're limiting their um, interaction to smaller groups, right? Like pods of fewer than 10 people. Um, there's a lot of things that could go into that safety checklist. And then birth families and foster families could both meet those checklists. And when they're met, then it will be safe to resume in-person visits. Um, that's kind of the personal family level decision making. But at, you know, the, the broader state or county level, folks really need to be keeping a close eye on the community spread of the virus um, before beginning any in-person visits and let that decision be data driven. Um, also, having flexibility will be important because we need agencies to also be prepared to potentially stop visits again and return to virtual visits if we see surges in a community um, of COVID. So it's a flexibility that can be really hard and challenging, but if you rely on the data to make those decisions, it can take that burden off of any one agency director or staff member. Given everything we've talked about, what questions should foster families consider before deciding whether to foster a child during the pandemic? 
So fostering is an amazing but very challenging act. And when you open your home to a child through foster care, you also open your home to social workers, support workers, attorneys, and birth families. And this is made even more challenging during COVID. So while many states are still doing virtual visits right now, soon we're going to be asked to resume in-person visits. And then each of those members of your child's team will bring their own COVID exposure risks to you and your family. So if you're considering opening your home right now, thinking through how your form, your family can mitigate risks is important. But at the end of the day, many of the decisions around the foster child's uh, attendance at childcare or school or visits with their family um, or interviews with um, attorneys or the courts, they're really out of your control as a foster parent. And so you do need to really be flexible um, to figure out a way to be safe, but also respect the needs of the broader team uh, for any given foster child. The other thing that's been really hard for me personally to figure out as a foster parent is, you know, if childcare and schools remain either fully or partially closed, what kind of a plan can you put in place for your children's learning this summer and fall? And how can, how can you work from home if you are working and support your child in foster care? So as a single foster mom, this is one of the biggest challenges and I haven't found a solution yet. And so I know a lot of foster families are struggling, like all families who have young children right now, uh, with balancing work and uh, your children's educational needs right now. And that I think is just exacerbated in foster care because often our kiddos, they have experienced childhood trauma, often complex trauma, right? The people that are supposed to love and protect them the most are those that have caused um, harm, either through abuse or neglect. And so their needs are, are really challenging um, and both educationally, but also all of their mental health needs. So figuring out how to meet your kiddos' needs while working from home, uh, if schools and childcare remain closed, is really a, a tough nut to crack. Another thing to consider during COVID, if you're um, in the process of becoming licensed, it's actually really hard right now to make it through that final hurdle. So it's difficult for new families to become licensed because the licensing process requires a home study, a fire inspection, and fingerprinting for background checks. So right now in DC, in my area, all of the fire inspections are paused. Um, so no one is receiving a fire inspection and we can't license a home until that happens. So there are many um, families who've been pursuing becoming a foster family, but are, are paused and kind of stuck in limbo right now for that final step. Um, fingerprinting also used to happen at the agency. It's now been pushed out into police stations and many families are uncomfortable going to a police station right now given the high rate high rates of COVID and first responders. So there's a lot of challenge there. Um, just to give some perspective, I started my licensing process in September of 2018, and I was not licensed until June of 2019, and that was pre-COVID. As you've referenced a couple of times in this interview, this is more than a professional consideration for you. This is a personal issue for you as well. Can you talk a little bit about your experience as a foster parent? Yeah, so I am a licensed foster parent here in Washington, D.C. 
I have been licensed for um, just over a year and I have had three children enter my home and then be reunified with their families. So my first placement was a three-year-old little girl who stayed for just a couple weeks. Um, and then I had a brand new newborn baby straight from the hospital who stayed for um, about a month and a half and then moved to another foster family to be um, reunited with some siblings. And then my third foster placement was my six-year-old foster daughter who um, was reunified with kin just before the stay-at-home orders came in. So as I entered into the COVID pandemic, I did not have a placement. And so for me right now, as a single foster mom, I'm trying to figure out every day, can I go back on the list? How can I make this work during a pandemic? And it's a hard thing to figure out. Um, Personally, fostering has been one of the most uh, beautiful and difficult things that I have done in my life. So I have always known that I wanted to be a mom and um, fostering allowed me to support not just the children, but also the full families, right? And our goal as foster families is to be like a bridge, to be a safe haven for children while there's a crisis in their family and to support that child and the full team so that they can go home to their family. Um, and when you get to that point, when your child is going to be reunified, it is the perfect example of bittersweet, right? You are thrilled for them, joyful for their family, but your heart is breaking um, because you grow to love these children who are in your home. And people always say, oh, I could never do foster care. I'd get too attached. And my answer to that is you should be attached, right? Every child, especially those that have experienced complex trauma, deserve to be unconditionally loved. And if you are afraid um, that you would get too attached, you are exactly the right person to be a foster parent. Um, if you're not getting attached, that's not, you know, what we want out of our foster families. So I have learned a lot about grief, about loss, and about love in my first year of fostering. And I really would encourage anyone who's considering it to sign up for an orientation, attend some of those virtual classes, but even more importantly, to speak with families that are fostering right now. Um, because I know I personally could not have done this without the amazing network of support that I've received um, through other foster families here in my area and through an organization called FAPAC. It's the Foster and Adoptive Parent Advocacy um, Group here in Washington, D.C. And they really make a difference for foster families who are navigating this wild journey. And it is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, but I think it's probably the most important thing I've done in my life. Thanks to Anne-Marie Feria for joining us today and for sharing her insights and sharing her story. She provided some helpful links and additional resources that we'll share in the show notes on our website, www.air.org. There you can also learn more about Anne-Marie and her work, including an evaluation of the Safe Babies Court Team program, an approach that aims to reduce the time a child spends in foster care before reaching a permanent, safe home. Results from that evaluation should be released later this summer. And remember, you can find all episodes of AIR Informs on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on our website. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe and take care.